message to you this morning is out of John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. If y'all got your Bibles, you can turn there, and I'll wait for you for just a moment. We're going to begin reading in verse 31. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and here's what it says. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? So Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free You shall be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for our freedom. We thank you, Lord God, that we have been set free from the tyranny of other nations. But more importantly, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we have been set free from the tyranny of the devil. We've been set free from the power of sin. Lord God, we're no longer bound to it, Father. We no longer have to commit sin. But, Lord God, you have set us free so that we no longer serve sin. We no longer serve the devil. But, Lord, we have a new king, and his name is Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you, Father, that you've translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. Lord, where we can worship you and magnify you and glorify you with our body and with our spirit, with our words and with our mouths. God, with everything that we have, we can honor you. And Lord God, we thank you, Father, that we have the freedom to do that. That nobody can take it away from us, Father. So, Lord, we are free and we are free indeed. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now, I, I want to read that same passage of Scripture from the Message Bible. Um, I, I, like, I like what Peterson says. He says, Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. He said, if you stick with this living out what I tell you, you're my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. Surprise, they said. But we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone's, and we've never been slaves to anyone. So how can you say the truth will free you? Jesus said, "I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead end life, and is in fact a slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. The son, though, has an established position, the run of the house." So if the Son sets you free, you're free through and through. That makes sense? That's good stuff, isn't it? So Jesus came into the world to set people free. Moses, just as Moses had been used by God to set the Israelites slave free from the bondage of Egypt, so Jesus came to set people free from the slavery of sin. You know, the biggest task that God had wasn't getting his people out of Egypt. It was getting Egypt out of his people. The biggest task that God has with us isn't getting people out of sin. It's getting sin out of people. It's getting us to realize that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does light do? Light not only dispels darkness, it reveals darkness. It it shows, it, 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 it rids of darkness because it displaces it. So if the light of Christ is in us, if we have the light of God in us, then sin cannot remain, can it? We've been set free from the power of sin. We've been set free from the the, uh, purposes of sin because God has called us for a different reason. Freedom is worth fighting for, and and people have always loved freedom. How many people love freedom? Uh, How many of y'all would just like to be a slave? I mean, it's like for somebody to tell you what to do, when to get up, what to eat, what to put on when to go to bed, what you had to do all day long, make you do this, make you do that. You had no will of your own. Would anybody like to live that way? Well, some people do. Some people do. Though we have the choice to live in freedom, some choose to walk in darkness. We choose to walk enslaved to sin without realizing we're really a slave. When God has called us out of darkness, he's called us out of sin. He has set us free. See, Freedom is worth fighting for. The Revolutionary War was a war for freedom. World War I was fought to make the world free and safe for democracy. World War II was fought because the freedom of people was being threatened. 
People love and hunger for religious, political, economic freedom. They also long for spiritual freedom, but many just don't know that they're bound. I think the worst kind of bondage that we can have is the blindness to our own bondage. We don't realize it. And so we go about thinking we're free when, in fact, we're not. Dr. Elton Trueblood stated six positive freedoms. Number one, the freedom to learn. Number two, the freedom to debate. Number three, the freedom to worship. Number four, the the freedom to work. Number five, the freedom to live. And number six, the freedom to serve God and our fellow man. President Roosevelt defined four freedoms that are precious to us all. Number one, the freedom of speech and expression. Number two, the freedom of worship. Number three, the freedom from want. And number four, freedom from fear. We don't have to fear anything. True freedom is never without cost nor struggle. And after the U.S. Constitution was signed, declaring our independence, the Revolutionary War immediately broke out in order to obtain it. The same is true concerning our spiritual freedom. Even though we profess Christ, there's a struggle between the Christian and the world, the flesh and the devil that must be fought in order to win it. We can't just lay down to the enemy. We have to stand up and understand that our enemy goes around like a roaring lion. and He's seeking someone to devour. But the Bible says, resist him, standing steadfast in the faith. So we have to resist the enemy. We can't just give in to it. We can't play his game. Listen, I want to tell you, this life that we live is not a game. It is very real. Every day, the things that we do are very real. We cannot afford to allow the enemy to steal our freedom, to take it away from us. And he will. He will get us into bondage in all kinds of ways if we allow him to. Some of us will get ourselves in bondage economically. How do we do that? Because the Bible tells us that the servant is, the borrower is servant to the lender. Everybody everybody heard that before? The borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I realize that in some cases we, we, we really don't, I guess we do have choices. We could, we could choose to just live in a cardboard box, I guess, and on the side of the road. But sometimes we have to, to, to get alone. But, you know, being in real bondage is when you get in a position where you cannot pay your bills. You get in over your head. You're uh, not frugal enough and, 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 and wise enough to keep yourself out of that position because, you know, sometimes... We get in ourselves a position where we have more outgo than we do income, which creates a downfall. We, we get ourselves caught in an economic cycle, and we are in bondage to those over us. We're in bondage to usury or, or, or interest, as it were. God doesn't want us to live that way. God doesn't want us to live uh, under the yoke of, of habits. You know what habits are, don't you? Habits are things that we do repetitiously. Abigail Van Buren said that a habit is something that is formed by consistency. 20 days of doing the same thing will create a habit. And once you create a habit, your habits will rule you. They will hold you in bondage or else your habits will set you free. There are good habits that we can have. You know, the habits of reading God's word and prayer, that's a good habit. How many would believe that? The habit of overeating, not good. But we got to eat right? If we choose not to eat, that's a bad habit to get into. We get anorexic and sooner or later we're going to die. We have to eat, but we have to be wise in how we do it. The Bible gives us good sound advice for that. You know, God gave us a diet to follow, didn't he? You believe that? Go to Leviticus and read the dietary laws that God gave to his people. They're not bad laws because scientists are beginning to find out that those were good things. If we don't eat shellfish, if we don't eat certain types of animals and those kind of things, which have high levels of cholesterol and fat and those kind of things, it was really for the health of his people that God gave these laws. It wasn't a bad thing. The bad thing is when we begin to do it religiously and we begin to impose this on people. See, God gives us principles to live by, not to impose upon us, but rather to help us. How many would agree that God's law is good? The Ten Commandments are a great thing, right? Have anybody ever seen anything in the Ten Commandments you thought were bad? I mean, especially the one about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit murder. That's a pretty good one. Wouldn't you think so? 
or thou shalt not steal? I mean, what if that wasn't in there? I mean, we could just walk in and pick each other's pockets. It'd be all right. But it's a good thing, right? Right, so the law is good. What the problem is, is when we superimpose laws upon laws and it becomes restrictive, and that's what the Jews did. The laws of man began to be imposed upon the laws of God and it became restrictive. That's what we call religion, you know? And religion is never good. Well, except in one case, because religion means man search for God. Religion's okay when we're searching for God, but when we find it, we don't need religion anymore. We need relationship. We go to another level. So once we're in a relationship with Jesus, it's not about religion. It's about who we know and what we know about who we know and the fact that once he is inside of us and once we have that relationship with him, it becomes a whole different ballgame, doesn't it? Well, let me move on. Okay. Many people have confused license for freedom. This false definition of freedom thinks primarily in terms of anarchy rather than in terms of harmony and happiness for all. It's a pseudo-freedom that is only concerned for selfish desires. The reason why people today don't want the laws of God to impose, be imposed upon us is because we want to do our own thing. We don't want somebody telling us what we should and what we shouldn't do. Though the laws of God are good, amen? They're for our protection. They're for our admonition. But when we don't want them, when we reject those laws and we do our own thing, then we do ourselves harm. You know, if all of us love our kids, how many, how many don't love their kids? Well, we got 100% in here that do. We all love our children. And so when our children are growing up, we impose restrictions upon them. We say, you know, don't play in the street. Now, Kids think that because we tell them not to play in the street, that we're just being hard. We're being too legalistic because we don't want to play in the street until they get out in the street and somebody hits them with a car. Then all of a sudden they realize there was a reason for that. You know, we tell our kids, don't stick your hand in the fire. But mama's pretty. It's warm. I, I, let me stick my finger in there just one time. So, okay. So, we, mom, dad turns her head and the child sticks her finger in the fire. What do they learn? It hurts. I don't want to do that no more. So, they, they have to, you know, some of us have to learn the hard way, and yet God's word gives us things that are for our own strength and admonition. So, we can't use... Freedom as a license to do our own thing. Number two, Jesus came to deliver people from slavery to freedom. Wow. As Jesus saw people in bondage to ignorance and superstition and tradition, Jesus saw people enslaved by their own passions growing out of their own fallen nature. Jesus saw people enslaved by sin and Satan. And Christ came to set people free from that which enslaves the soul and destroys the heart of life. There's some things that, that, that God tells us not to do for our, own, for our own health, for our own purposes, for his own purposes, so that we can better serve him. But a lot of times we think that God's being too hard. Now, believe me, folks, I know what it is to grow up in a very, very legalistic environment. I grew up in that, you know, the do's and the don'ts, where the rule was don't smoke, dip, and chew, and don't run around with the folks that do. You know, you can say the same thing about a chair. It don't smoke, dip, or chew, and it don't run around with boys and do. But the thing of it is, that's not what it's really all about. I'm not saying to go out and run around with those that smoke, dip, and chew and do as they do and this kind of thing. But legalism says that that's the way to be holy. Holiness is a relationship with God. Holiness is the, is the desire to please him. So when we live our lives to please him, then we naturally don't want to do those other things. It's just because the seed of God resides inside of us and we want to be like our daddy. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 and 1, it says, be imitators of God as dear children. You know, isn't that a good thing? How many want to be like our Father? You want to be like God. 
I want to be like God. I think it's always been man's desire to be like God. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Babylonians wanted to be that way. When the Tower of Babel was built, what was their purpose? They wanted to be like God. They wanted to ascend above the heavens. They wanted to be, but that's the wrong way. Being like God is, is, is being like him in his, in his nature, in his attributes, being full of love, being full of grace, being full of mercy. How many would agree that God is merciful? Yeah. Well, the Bible tells us that in order to see God, we've got to be merciful too. In order to obtain mercy, then we have to be merciful. That's an attribute of God. It says, forgive, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Well, how much has God forgiven us? Everything. He's forgiven us everything. So what's he saying? In order to be like God, then we have to learn to be merciful like he is. So if we're merciful like he is, then there's nothing we won't forgive. Wow, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But pastor, you just don't know what some people have done to me. <clears throat> well, you don't know what some people have done to me. But I do know what everybody did to Jesus. What did Jesus do that caused him to deserve death? Can anybody name one sin that he did? Can you name one unrighteous act that Jesus did that caused him to be crucified? Can you think of one thing that he ever said to anybody that was unkind or out of the way? I can't. I can't find it anywhere. And surely, of all the things that Jesus did, somebody would have found some way that they could have accused him. But the only thing they could accuse him of was healing on Sunday. I'm doing good. And so they crucified him for it. Well, let me tell you something. If you do those same things, somebody will find some way to accuse you too. You'll be crucified for doing good because if they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to you. Do it anyway. Do it anyway because that's what he set us free for. That's why he gave us these freedoms. Jesus came to deliver people from slavery. He brought us from slavery to freedom. Galatians 1 Verses 3 and 4, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Why? Here's the reason. That he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He came to deliver us out of this present evil age so that we wouldn't be, have to be partakers of it, so that we wouldn't have to be enslaved to sin. He came to set us free. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? And I like what Colossians 1.13 says. For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So he's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness. He's translated us into the kingdom of his son. He's taken us out of the power of Satan and he's put us under the rule of Christ. I like that. I like that. See, there, there, are, only, there are freedoms that only Christ can obtain for us. And he's already done it by conquering the power of sin. What did he do? Well, first of all, only Christ is able to set us free from the guilt of sin. He's the only one that can do it. Because we're guilty. How did he do it? By taking our guilt in our place. By dying on the cross in our place. Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that, or 5.20, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus did it in our place. I tell you what, when, when I finally got a hold of that, it changed my life that Jesus died not for his sins but for mine. The reason he hung on the cross wasn't for what he did but because of I did, what I did. Number two, only Christ is able to set us free from the power of sin over our lives. I'm glad that Jesus conquered sin and death. You know, the penalty of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody say all. Now, when you say all, who does that include? Does that just include Lydia there or Becky? So we could just say, well, Becky and Lydia sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or that other guy over there. No, it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means not only everybody else but me. It points the finger back at me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible also tells us that the wages of sin is what? 
death. Well, when you work for something, and well, you know, I, I worked hard for the devil for a long time. I was his number one employee. I think my brother kind of took that position. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, we battled for it. But, you know, I was working and collecting wages of sin. And everything that I did was leading to one thing, death. Man, I was in a fix, and so were you. But the Bible says the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why is that? Because he has set us free from the power of sin. What is the power of sin? Death. Destruction. That's the power of sin. The inability to live our lives the way that we want to because the devil drives us. Our passions and our desires and our fleshly sins and our fleshly desires, those are the kind of things that the enemy uses to enslave us. So Christ has set us free from the power of sin over our lives. Number three, only Christ is able to set us free from the fear of death. Amen. I remember when I was in sin, I would lay down at night. And though I hadn't prayed all day long, I was afraid to go to sleep. And I would say, Lord, please don't let me die and go to hell. Because I knew that if I died in the condition I was in, I was going to bust hell wide open. And it was a fearful thing. And I would walk around in fear of dying. And that was a healthy thing because it kept me from doing things even more stupid than what I did. But I lived in that fear of dying and going to hell. But Jesus has set me free from the fear of death. I don't fear it no more. You know, I'm, I'm getting kind of like Jake Hess used to be. My dad used to love to watch the Gaithers, and Jake Hess was an old gospel singer, been around for years and years, and I think he invented gospel music. But he, he had cancer for years. He suffered with it for years. But he had such a great attitude, and he actually wrote a song called Death Ain't No Big Deal. <laughs> you know, and, and I remember when my mother passed back a couple months ago, 93 years old, and the last week and a half of her life, we would go to visit with her and talk to her and stuff. She never once said, would you pray for me that I could live for another 90 years? Would you pray for me that I could live on? But when I talked to my mama, you know what? My mama said, I want to go home. I want to be with Jesus. I want to see Jimmy guy. That's my daddy. I want to see my daughter. She wanted to go home to be with the Lord, which is far better. Paul said, you know, it is far better for me that if I die because to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So why should I fear death? Jesus has taken the sting of death. He's destroyed it. He has, he has given us a promise that the grave can't hold us. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. So why should we fear it anymore? He's taken away the fear of death. That's a cool thing, isn't it? I don't have to be afraid. Hallelujah. I remember having an evangelist come to town one time and and he was preaching, and, and we were getting ready to go out witness and stuff. And, and some people are afraid to go out and talk to anybody about Jesus because they've heard horror stories. You know, I, I've never had anybody. I mean, I think in the South, our, our idea of persecution is for somebody to refuse a track. <laughs> you know? Or to talk bad about you for being a Christian. They don't like me because I'm a Christian. <laughs> oh, I'm being persecuted. And so we kind of do that. But, you know, real persecution, man, the disciples, they knew something about persecution. Paul said, you know, he would have been stoned three times and imprisoned and shipwrecked and, you know, left for dead a couple of times and everything else. I mean, that's persecution, right? I mean, Peter and John, they were beaten and thrown in jail and for, for preaching the gospel and then taken before somebody for healing a man. I mean... That's persecution. When you do something for Jesus and you're hauled in before the authorities and you're accused of all kinds of stuff and told, don't you do that no more. I mean, don't you go out healing people in that name anymore. Now, that's persecution. But what we suffer, that's not really persecution, you know. I mean, it's getting worse, but persecution, Jesus said it would come. But he said, you know, the cool thing is count yourself blessed. When persecution comes, 
I mean, don't, don't shrink away from it. So this, this evangelist said, when we were getting ready to go out and witness and stuff, we were going to go out and pass out light bulbs in the community and this kind of thing. And, and uh, so he said, well, the worst, what's the worst thing they can do to you? He said, if they hurt you, you believe in the power of healing? Do you? If you believe in the power of healing, if they hurt you, Jesus will heal you. And if they kill you, you're going to heaven. So what's the worst thing that can happen to you? You know, I mean, think about it. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear those things. And number four, only Christ is able to set us free from the power that Satan would exercise over us. And some people are enslaved to the enemy. Even though we've been set free by the power of the gospel, even though Jesus has said that we are free, because of our choices sometimes, we remain in bondage voluntarily. We're servants, slaves to sin, and don't even know it. Don't even know it. Now that, folks, is, is pretty bad. I would call it ignorance, but I have another word for it, and I think we talked about that a little bit last week. Ignorance is not knowing, right? Ignorance is when you have no knowledge. But there's another word that describes having knowledge and yet doing something that we know we shouldn't do. You know, it's kind of like the, last, the famous last words of a redneck. Hey, y'all, watch this. You know, we call it stupidity. It's just being stupid, you know. And sometimes we do that, though we've been set free from the power of sin. We live our lives voluntarily under the slavery of the enemy. We don't have to. I'm telling you, you don't have to. You have a choice. You have the right to be free. True freedom comes only through the Son. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Listen, don't go backward. We call that backsliding. Go forward. John Maxwell wrote a book a few years ago. John Maxwell, is the, he's the leadership guru. And he wrote a book, and he calls it Falling Forward. He said, if I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall forward. I'm never going to fall backward. I'm going to fall forward. And listen, we all have failures, don't we? We try things sometimes, and it just don't work out, and the enemy will try to beat us up over it. Hey, I want to tell you something. uh, We've been to Thomas Edison's house down in Fort Myers, Florida. It's a, it's a cool thing to go in and check all this. You know, he was an inventor. Do you know how many times he experimented before he was able to create the light bulb? 10,000 experiments trying to create the light bulb. But every time that he failed, he never called it a failure. You know what he said? Every time that he would try something and it wouldn't work, he would just say, well, I found another way that it wouldn't work. And he would try something else. So he kept trying until he finally did it. And today you can go to Fort Myers, Florida, and you can go to the Edison home, and guess what's still burning? The incandescent light bulb that he created. It's still burning to this very day. The same one. Used a lot of electricity because it had a bamboo bamboo filament thing in it. But it's still burning. But he finally succeeded because he kept falling forward. He kept moving forward. He didn't go back. He didn't stop. And so many of us, when we have a little bit of persecution or we have a little bit of trouble or we have a little bit of, of, of having to resist, we give way. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians... 10, 13, it says, there's no temptation taking you, but that which is common to man, but God is faithful. will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Is that God's word or not? Well, then the, the verse before it, though, says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. 
Because sometimes, folks, we put ourselves in position for the enemy to do us harm through our own will and our own volition by making stupid choices. But we have to decide. Because Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that he has set us free. Wow. Only Christ could do that. Hallelujah. Christ offers us a freedom from the condemnation of sin that sin brings. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So Christ sets us free with a liberty that is instantaneously received. The moment that you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're free from the bondage of sin. Because his blood cleanses us of all sin, and it's sin that entangles us and entraps us. Christ grants us freedom that lasts forever. It's our choice. The freedom that comes from Christ is received as a free gift to those who come to him in total surrender by faith. So the question is today to you and to me, are we living and walking in freedom? If not, then we need to make peace with God through faith in Jesus and receive the freedom that he paid for. This is the freedom that he offers to you. You're free. You're free to call God your father. This is a new relationship with him. Now, listen, as I said earlier, a slave is confined. But a son is free to go, to come and go as he pleases. He's free in the house. We have relationship with God. We're not servants. We're not slaves, but we are sons. That's a different relationship that we have with him. You're free to claim the protection of your heavenly father's house. You're free to bring your needs to the throne of grace in prayer with full assurance by faith that God will answer. You're free to serve him by serving others. You're free to grow and develop into his image. And you're free to live victorious over sin, sickness, disease, and poverty. You are free to live victorious, overcoming, and to live a Christ-honoring life because you are free indeed. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Are you free today? Are you thankful that you're free? Amen. Are you going to live your lives in freedom? Are you going to become entangled and, and yoked again to slavery, to sin? No, I don't think so. I don't choose to do that. I don't want to do that. Now, the enemy will come, and he's very enticing. I was listening to a song by Randy Stonehill. He was talking about, in the song, he says, Remember the devil, for he remembers you. And really what the song is about is a warning for us to understand that the enemy is not going to give up. He wants to destroy your life, for he is a thief, and the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the devil will come, and he will try to entice you, and he comes sometimes even as an angel of light. Sometimes he comes with all the right words, all the right things to say, and we'll think, hey, you know, this is God. But if it doesn't line up with what God's word says, reject it. Because it's not. He's very deceptive. That's the way the devil entraps and ensnares is through deception. Now, I, I, I told you one time before that there's a, there's a big difference between, you know, not knowing and knowing. Because deception is when the enemy comes and we think we're doing the right thing. You know, sometimes there's an outright, we just know we're not doing the right thing, so we don't do it. So the enemy will come and he'll paint something up and make it look like we're doing the right thing when in fact we're not. So we have to be very, very careful. And the only way that we can be careful enough is to, is to run everything through this. Strain it out through God's word so that we don't get entangled again into, in the entrapments and the things of the enemy. Jesus said that if we abide in the word and the word abides in us, then we shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. That's the secret. Abiding in his word and allowing his word 
to abide in us. What does it mean to abide in? Come on, help me out, you scholars. What does it mean? To abide in. To live. So if we live in the Word and we allow His Word to live in us, then we'll know the truth. And the truth is what makes us free. Amen? That's the secret. It's really no big secret because if it was a secret, it would be hidden. Right? No secret. It's something God wants us to know. So if you abide in the Word, the Word abides in you, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And not only that, you'll be free indeed. Amen? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. I thank God that I'm free today. You know, if, if I were to be arrested right now and taken off to jail and put in jail, I'd still be free. Amen? If I were to be killed for preaching the gospel, hey, that'd be cool. Because I'd be a martyr for Jesus and I'd get a martyr's crown. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? I mean, it's not like I'm going to go looking for that, you know. I'm not going to walk into a place, go to Iran tomorrow and start walking the streets and see if I can't get martyred. I'm not going to do that. Probably would, but that'd be kind of a stupid, stupid thing to do. But God said, do it, I'd do it. But he hadn't said it, so I'm not going to. I'll stay right here and preach the gospel in Salisbury. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's about being free. Are you free? Are you truly free today? Now, if you can't honestly say that I am free, then you can be. Because God's word says you can. What would be the thing that enslaves us? Sin itself. And what is sin? The Bible tells us in 1 John that sin is rebellion against God. Transgression. When we transgress the law of God, that is sin. So if you want to know what sin is and what sin isn't, it's whatever goes against the word of God. That's sin. Okay? So if we're living in sin, then we are violating the principles and the laws of God. That's what sin is. And if we're living in it, then you have become enslaved again to sin. Whatever that sin is. What is the sin? Lying? Cheating? What is the sin? Adultery? Now, what is adultery? Jesus said it like this. He said, if we look upon a person to lust after them, then we've committed adultery in our own heart. That's sin because it's transgression of God's law. If we're angry with our brother and we refuse to forgive, that's sin. We need to deal with it because it is holding us back. It's enslaving us. How many want to be free and free indeed? Yes, indeed, I'm free. Then right now, I'm going to pray with you, and I want you to stand to your feet. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, To examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Nobody else can decide for you as nobody else's call, but it's your own. To know whether I am living in a relationship with Jesus. Nobody else can tell you that. I can no more determine whether you are a true believer. Even though you may act like a true believer. You may be able to, to fake it pretty well. And some will try to fake it till we make it. But we'll never make it until we do this one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. That's what saves us. Faith in Christ and nothing else can save us. It's only through Him. It's only through His precious blood. It's only by accepting what God has done through Jesus Christ at Calvary that can save us. So if you have not... Confess Jesus as your Lord. If you have not believed in your heart that he is Lord, that God has raised him from the dead and confessed it with your mouth, then you're still enslaved to the very thing that you want to be free from. 
So right now, while nobody's looking around, nobody else is concerned about anybody else, but you're looking at your own heart. And I'm not even looking at you. I'm just, I have my eyes closed too. Because I want this to be a very personal decision that you make with God and with yourself. If you've been enslaved by the enemy because of the fact that you haven't accepted the freedom that Christ has bought for you, right now is the time to become free, to break free, to say that I'm free indeed. So I just want to pray with you right now. Right where you're standing, you can just say this with your own mouth and believe with your own heart. Would you just say this with me? God in heaven, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty for my transgressions. He took my place on the cross. He shed his blood when I should have shed mine. And I thank you, Lord, that you gave your only son to die in my place that I could be saved. He died so that I can live. So today, Lord, I make that choice. I want to live. I want to have eternal life. Because your word says that he that doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. But he that has the Son has life. And Lord, I choose life. I choose freedom. Lord, help me to break free from habits that have enslaved me. Help me, Lord, to clear my heart. To cleanse my mind with your word so that I can be free because I want to know the truth. And Lord, you said in your word that if I walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, that I can have fellowship with others and that his blood would cleanse me of all sin. And I thank you, Lord, that all sin is gone and that I am free. Indeed, I am free. Thank you, Lord. Sin has no hold on me. Death can't touch me. The grave can't hold me. No one can harm me because I am a son of the living God. Through the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm free. I'm free indeed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you don't confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my Father. And the Bible says he doesn't want us to be ashamed of him. I'll tell you what, I'm excited to be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Not at all. Something to be excited about. Amen. I'm a child of the living God. I'm part of his kingdom. I'm a king's kid. Amen. Amen. Does anybody need prayer today before we go? I would hate to turn you loose without giving you that opportunity. But Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises, which in you are always yes and amen. We thank you, Lord, that we're free. Amen. We want to live as free men and women of God.
and we bless you and we praise you, Father. God, we pray for our nation. We know, Lord, that she's at a very, very vulnerable place. And God, we pray for the church, that the church would arise. Lord, you said if judgment begins, it'll begin in the house of hell. And so, Lord, I just pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would touch pastors and that you would touch people of, of God in the churches all around this country. Lord, that we would unite in prayer for your word says, Father, that if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, Lord, you would hear from heaven and forgive us our sins. Lord God, you would heal our land. And we need it, Father. We need it, Lord. We lift up those, God, who have the authority over us. We pray for our president. We pray, Lord God, that you would touch his heart. God, we know, Father, that you took a man named Paul who was a persecutor, who was going around breathing threats against your people, who was doing everything he could to undermine the gospel, and you changed his heart. You put a new heart within him, Lord God. And Father, he became the Apostle Paul. And Lord God, we know, Father, that President Obama has made many wrong choices that violate the principles of your word. God, we know, Lord, that he will stand before you. But, God, we pray, Father, that you would touch his heart. Because we know, Lord, that your word says in Proverbs 21.1 that the heart of kings are in the hand of the Lord. And he turns them like a water course wherever he wills. And we ask you, Father, to touch our president to save him. Lord, that he would have a, a real and genuine encounter with you, God. Lord, just as Nebuchadnezzar had an encounter with you, Lord. Lord, when he was humbled... God, we pray, Father, that you would touch him, Lord, because your word says that you exalt the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And we pray for him. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our senators and our congressmen, our judges, those who have the authority over us, Father. God, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would direct this nation. God, that your heart, your hand would turn hearts. Lord, that you would channel us back to righteousness where you're exalted where Christ is exalted in our land again and our nation once again is strong and vibrant and viable before you Lord we thank you Father we thank you Lord God that this nation though she may be vulnerable you're still God over it you're still Lord over this nation, no matter what anyone else thinks, because it was founded upon your principles. So, God, we declare it to be so. And as the church, Lord, we declare that we will stand up and be the people of God. Would you stand with me? Would you stand up and be a child of God? Would you stand and let your voice be heard? Would you stand and be counted as you stand in prayer and intercede for this nation? Would you do that? Nothing is going to turn if we keep silent. But if we lift up our voices in the right place toward God, God will turn the tide of this nation. Prayer changes things. That's what it's going to take. Next Sunday night, we're going to begin interceding, but you can do it at home. But we're going to come and have corporate intercession at what was changes over on Fulton Street. And um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, we're going to be moving out of Karen's house and moving our offices and everything into what was the beauty salon. That's going to be our new headquarters away from Livingstone College. But we're going to be moving in there. But next Sunday night, we're going to begin having intercessory prayer there. And I want to invite as many of you as want to come to come. But it's going to be a time of prayer. Now, we won't be having refreshments and those kind of things. We're going to come. We're going to get refreshed. But we're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to see God do some things. Amen? Listen, I love you folks, and I appreciate you, and I thank you for your prayers. As I said earlier, it's been a very, very trying week, believe me. But God's grace is sufficient. And if you think about it, would you call Karen and just let her know you're praying for her? Send her a note. That'd probably be the best thing. I'm pretty sure she's probably inundated with calls and those kind of things. But just let her know you love her in some way because she really needs it right now. Amen.
Bible says that pure religion and undefiled is this, to care for the widows and their and orphans in their afflictions. And Karen is a widow. And she needs her church family to surround her and to love her. We also have another one right here. And she needs things done at her house that she can't do. Her sons uh, have moved away pretty much. But-